This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 247, and I'm talking with Laura Thweet. Laura placed fifth recently at the Olympic Marathon Trials in Atlanta, and I've been so excited to talk with her after that race. She's a Saucony athlete with a marathon PR of 225.38, but after she ran that marathon PR, she struggled with an injury for a very long time. And I think her story is just such a story of hope. And it's really inspiring to hear someone who is competing at the level Laura is competing at walk through such an intense injury. She didn't race for over a year after she ran that 225. And in this podcast episode, we talk about how even though fifth place wasn't the goal, she wanted to make that Olympic team. She really resurrected her career at the Olympic trials and man, I got to tell you, she was a really fun interview. We recorded this, it's been a while, like four or five weeks ago. So I'm excited to finally get it out to the world. And I have to say, she's probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. She's just super easy to talk to. And uh, at the end of this conversation, we got to get into a little bit of fun random Netflix talk as well. So um, she's a fun one and I'm really excited to see what is in store for Laura and her future and career. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. This episode is sponsored by Lily Trotters, my favorite compression sock. They are cute and they are super functional. I've been wearing them for probably like four years now. They also have a crew sock now. I'm loving the crew sock. Every time I wear the crew, someone's asking me where these socks are from. So you all can get in on the Lily Trotters goodness and save 25% off your order when you go to lilytrotters.com. Use the code ANOTHER to get 25% off your order. Lily Trotters has been a longtime sponsor of this podcast. And when you all support a sponsor of this show, you are directly supporting my work. So I thank you very much for that. All right, friends, if you're loving this podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. And if you aren't already subscribed, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss these extra episodes I'm putting out right now. I'm doing two episodes a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Laura Thweet. All right, today on the podcast, I am so excited to have Laura Thweet on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Hi, Lindsay. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day in Indianapolis, so I feel like good weather is the ultimate mood lifter, especially right now. I couldn't agree more. It's gorgeous here in Colorado. It's like 70 degrees. So I just ran outside in shorts and a t-shirt and uh, yeah, beautiful. So I'm thinking good vibes with the good weather. Now, who are you quarantined with? I am, excuse me, uh, I am quarantined with my boyfriend, uh, Alex Monroe. 
Um, and then his roommate, uh, Alex Stilts. So there's three of us and then our dog, Biggie. Okay. That's a good combo. Yeah, it's good. It's, uh, it's just enough people, um, but not too many. And uh, that's who I've been living with anyway. So um, yeah, we're just hunkered down and taking it all one day at a time and trying to do our best to do our part. Um, but it's nice having some company where you're not completely uh, isolated from uh, all contact, obviously. I just interviewed Des Linden and she was kind of saying like, well, not much has changed for me. Do you feel like similar <laughs> yeah. or how is how has your life changed since all of this? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, uh, I agree with Des. I, I feel very fortunate and I feel very blessed to be in the position that I'm that I'm in because so many other people are not in this position. Um, you know, our unemployment rate is now over six million and um, you know, my boyfriend and uh, our roommate and then tons and tons of other friends are losing jobs and are having to apply for unemployment. And, you know, everything has just been turned upside down for so many people. And so many people are trying to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other and, and get to the other side of this thing, um, which, again, you know, right now, no one really knows when that's going to be. So it's a really scary, uncertain time for for millions of people. Um, and as far as my life goes, um, not a whole lot has changed for me. And so again, I feel very, very fortunate that I get to be in this position, um, you know, outside of interacting with my team and going to, to workouts and practices and um, the occasional appointment here and there. Um, I'm still able to do a lot of what I would normally be doing. Um, and so it's just uh, it's just a blessing that I'm in the position that I'm in, um, you know, seeing so many people that that aren't uh, and that are struggling right now um, really makes me appreciate what I have. Now, I know your boyfriend, Alex, runs with the Roots Running Project, What? In, but you mentioned losing a job. So does he do something else on top of that? Yeah, he does. So um, he was working um, part time for a uh, orthopedic um, uh, like PT clinic here in Boulder. Okay. Uh, it was a PT clinic attached to like an orthopedic uh, surgery center. Um, and so he was um, like a PT assistant um, working at that clinic. Um, and so he was doing that up until three weeks ago when this all really began to begin to kind of hit and sink in. So, uh, he's no longer, he was laid off. So again, I think a lot of people are getting laid off, but mm -hmm. the uncertainty with that is, you know, will they have jobs, the same job on the other side of this? Like it really just depends how each business is doing and where company companies are at once we kind of clear this thing. So he's not sure what, you know, what the next couple of months are going to look like for him as yeah. far as that job goes. Yeah. Like how temporary is that? Is this? Yeah. I mean, I yeah, feel like that's that. That's so scary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've kind of had to just give myself a little bit of like, okay, you know, like things with the podcast as far as sponsorship and things like that go, like companies are not wanting to invest right now because of what's going on. Like everybody's kind of like, I'm on it. We're on a spending freeze. So like, I'm kind of just having to, um, say, okay, that's okay. Like, we're just going to like have a little break. We're gonna, still going to produce really good conversations and, um, hopefully when we get to the other side of this, everything will, will be okay. But yeah, it's just kind of hard to have that kind of unknown for a, a certain period of time. 
Yeah, it's really hard. Um, and like so much change obviously happening so happening so quickly where no one was able to prepare for this. Not that you could prepare for this anyway, but um, yeah, it's just really hard right now. And that unknowing, I think, is what's so scary for so many people. Yeah. Okay. I want to... I want to first start and get everybody kind of caught up to speed in case they aren't following your career um, and what you've been up to. Uh, who is Laura? So Laura, you just ran. I mean, it was such an incredible race to see you compete like that at the trials. I mean, as a spectator watching in person and then we would run back into the bar we were by and like watch you guys on TV. <laughs> I mean, you were just out there for the kill it looked like and it was so cool to see so first of all I know you wanted a podium I know you wanted to make that team (laughs) but man congratulations thank you I appreciate that um yeah I mean obviously I didn't get the the perfect fairy tale ending that we all want at the Olympic trials but um I don't I don't regret the way that I raced and I'm proud of the way that I raced and I wanted it really really bad and so I put it all on the line and um, you know, it didn't work out on the day, but I, I crossed that finish line and I had absolutely nothing left. Uh, and so I think, uh, you know, that was everything I had on that day and it wasn't quite good enough, but, uh, yeah, I, I came away, um, just really, uh, learning a lot about myself and just feeling like I'm really finally, uh, back in the game as far as being healthy and just having that race confidence back. I think going into the trials, you know, gosh, talk pre-trials. It's like everybody kind of was like, oh, there's like 15 people, you know, that (laughs) could potentially, really potentially make that team aside for some random dark horses. Right. Um, And your name was definitely in that mix. But do you feel like you still surprise some people? I do. Um, You know, I definitely uh, felt like over the years I made my mark in the marathon. Um, and I felt like I had done enough to be in that conversation, but you know, at the same time, I've, I've also been injured for two years mm-hmm. on and off where I haven't been able to string the consistent performances together. And so, you know, since running 225 back in 2017 at London, I've had kind of a rocky road, uh, finding my footing in the marathon as far as, again, just overcoming some big injuries and, uh, a coaching change and just trying to kind of get going again and find that momentum again. Um, and so, yeah, I knew that I wasn't, you know, necessarily a favorite going in. Um, and I, I felt like I had some things to prove to myself, but also some things to prove to everyone else as far as like, Hey, like I know it hasn't been, you know, the most consistent two years and, you know, so many, uh, American women are surging in the marathon and are running incredible times and, you know, winning majors and, and it's a boom for American distance running. And so, Um, you know, I felt like I haven't been able to perform at the level that so many of those other women have been able to perform at the last couple of years. Um, and so I knew that I, I kind of needed to prove not only to myself, but to everyone else that despite, uh, kind of the obstacles and the ups and downs I've had since running my PR, um, that I still, I'm still in the game and I still have what it takes to at least compete with, you know, with some of the best in the country in the world. Uh, so I feel like the trials kind of allowed me to do that. Um, and that's how I wanted to go in and race. I wanted to go in confident. I wanted to really mix it up, uh, with all those incredible women. And I just really wanted to, to showcase that I still have what it takes as far as the marathon goes. And I didn't make the team, but, uh, I definitely think, uh, I have another couple years in me. So, I mean, it really, 
looked like you were just in it to win it. I mean, you know, just watching how you competed. Um, I'd love to hear your thought process a little bit throughout that competition. Did you ever get to a place where you were like, what the hell am I doing? Or like, <laughs> or like, this is it. Like, I, cause I, I've heard you say you kind of just wanted to risk it all. Just go in and, and do the thing. And it was very clear that you were competing that way. So what's the thought process for someone in that position? Yeah. Um, I think firstly, to be clear, um, that was not our strategy. Oh, uh, really? Joe would want me to say, I think Joe would want me to say that. <laughs> that was not our strategy going into the race at all. Um, I mean, and especially with that headwind, like obviously being in the front was not an ideal place for really any of us to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously someone was going to have to do it. And so, you know, the first loop, that first like eight miles or so, I was kind of trying to tuck in and find my rhythm and my place in, in the pack. And um, I don't know, we kind of finished that first loop and we were coming up that hill back into like that center portion of it to start the second. And I kind of found myself in the front of the race and I was like, oh, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be out in the front here. But like all of a sudden, I don't know, like I just, I don't know if it was the trials and just obviously being in that pack of like so many incredible women uh, or the crowds, but I just like felt so good. And I was like, shit, like I feel really good. And again, like, you know, I, I went in healthy and we had an unbelievable buildup and we prepared so incredibly well for what Atlanta was. And I was just suddenly so confident in everything that Joe and I had done in preparation to get here that I was like, you know what, this is my race. Mm. I trained perfectly for this type of course. I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to prove that like I have what it takes to make the team and I'm going to run my race. Um, and so I kind of just like changed my mindset within that like mile or so. And I was in the front and I knew Joe was probably somewhere like freaking out being like, what are you doing? Like get like tuck in, tuck in. And later he did confirm that that's exactly what he was trying to tell me. Um, but uh, I just, again, I just, I just kind of, I took it and I was like, you know what? Like I'm going to go for it and it may not work out. Uh, but I, I want to like, it just felt so good to have that confidence again in my racing where I could be in the front and I could be, controlling the race and racing it aggressively. I love to race that way. And I know you can't race that way all the time, but that's really my style of racing. And just everything over the last two years, I felt like I haven't really been in a position mentally where I've been confident enough to do that. And so suddenly to have that confidence back, I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen, but (laughs) I'm going to run with it and I'm going to go for it. And uh, and just, uh, give it everything I have from the front here. And so, you know, Joe told me he was yelling at me for like a couple <laughs> miles, like tuck in, tuck in, tuck in. But then he was like, I saw you coming up like one of those, like, I think it was like that two mile grind kind of on that loop before you like head back out. And he saw me and I don't remember this, but he told me that I made eye contact with him when he was like screaming at me to tuck in. And he was like, I saw this look on your face that I've like never seen before. And I was like, she's not going to tuck in. (laughs) So he was like, I'm going to change my strategy and I'm just going to like support her and what she's doing. And like, we'll just see what happens. So it was funny, but yeah, um, it was, it was just really incredible for me to feel that way again. And so I think that's why I went for it. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, Laura's talking about Joe Bossard, who is Emma Coburn's husband, and he coaches you along with um, the rest of that team. Is that strange? Are you the only marathoner in the group? 
I am. Um, I'm currently trying to peer pressure uh, Dom Scott yeah. into creeping up in distance because I honestly think she would be incredible over a half marathon and then eventually a marathon. Um, but, you know, she has a lot uh, still to give on the track for sure, obviously. But um, uh, yeah, so right now I'm the only marathoner in the group. That is, it's so cool that Joe was able to come and it's funny that you did not actually, rem- it's like talking about the experience and the fact that you did make eye contact in fact, but you do not remember yeah. it happening. <laughs> I don't remember it at all. He told me I did that and I was like, I don't remember seeing you until mile like 23. <laughs> really? Were you so looking he was for like, him at all? Yeah. Not, I mean, again, like I knew he was probably somewhere on like that middle portion of the loop, but yeah. it was, I mean, again, the cra- you saw the crowds mm-hmm. in Atlanta were unbelievable. Like I've never experienced something like that in a marathon. I mean, obviously the majors are incredible in that way, uh, but this was just, there was not one spot on that entire course wherever we were on that loop that was empty. Mm. Um, and so he was on that inner portion where there were so many people and it was deafening. Like I couldn't hear anything. Um, but I finally saw him out, I think, yeah, around mile 23 when we were obviously really spaced out at that point. Um, and he was yelling at me there and I heard him and I saw him. Um, but yeah, not until that point. Does the crowd, does that excite you? Because I've talked to some people who have said it, like felt distracting at the beginning. And then some people have said it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. I mean, the beginning, like that first 5k was crazy because you have like that, like sheer deafening noise Mm -hmm. of the crowd. And so it's like spiking your adrenaline, but like, you're also like, we were in that gigantic pack of probably like 40 women (laughs) in the first 5k. And so you're jostling and again, just trying to get comfortable. And so there is just so much that like your mind's trying to like you know, like race around and kind of like, you know, you're trying to settle yourself down because it's a marathon, you have a long way to go. So you're trying to like keep yourself in check. But I loved it. I thought it was incredible. And I really fed off of it uh, for the entire race. Now I listened to your pre and post interview with Lauren on the up and running podcast, which is really fun. And I love hearing the way Lauren interviews other runners. I think she brings like such a fun perspective since she runs at a pretty high level herself. Um, and she was in the same race as you. So that was cool to hear. Too. Yeah. So uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. But in your pre-interview with Lauren, you talked, you guys talked a lot about like injuries that you've recovered from and come back from. And I would just love to hear you kind of expand on how mentally someone training and racing at your level gets through that because man, you know, runners get so depressed and sad when they have to take even six weeks off and you had to take so much time off knowing that this is your career, your livelihood. This is what you want to do with your life. So can you walk us through how you got through that mentally? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. Everyone knows uh, who struggled with injury, um, just how psychologically uh, demanding and like exhausting that it can be. Um, and I think it's especially hard. I mean, obviously any sport, uh, where you get injured is, is difficult, but I think our sports unique in the fact that there's no off season. So when you're injured, you're constantly, you constantly feel like you're missing out and you're like losing ground on your competitors and you're kind of, you know, falling through the cracks of the sport a little bit because there's just always races happening and you kind of always feel like you're on the sidelines missing something when you're injured. And so I think that's really hard. Um, and again, like it's, 
it's really incredible to watch what's happening in our sport, especially with uh, the women's depth going on. It's really cool. And so watching that while I was working through injury was really inspiring and really motivating um, and kind of just kept me in check and kind of helped keep my head down as far as focusing on what I needed to do to get back to that level. But it's also really hard because again, you feel like you're kind of on the sidelines and you're missing out on all of these incredible races and moments that you're watching other athletes have. And, um, and so I think that can be really hard because you start comparing yourself and then you start, you know, questioning, will I get back to that level? Like, you know, uh, once I get over this injury, will I be as good as I was before the injury? Um, you know, what if I get injured again, once I come back and I think when you're in that injury cycle, it's really hard to kind of, you, I don't know, I lost a lot of confidence and, um, you kind of have a lot of self doubt, or at least I did, um, just again, asking all those questions and, uh, watching the sport in a way move on without you. It's kind of what it feels like sometimes, even though it's incredible watching what people are doing. Uh, it's also really hard feeling like you're missing out on those moments. Um, but you know, like I was lucky because I have an incredible support system. Um, and you know, in this latter half of, um, you know, transitioning off of, uh, a different coach and then getting injured a couple months in with Joe. And, um, I, I was, I was just really lucky with all the people I've had over the years, um, who have been there to support me while I've been injured. Um, you know, my parents are great and I have an unbelievable support system now with my teammates and Joe's been great. And, um, before that in the Boulder track club, I was extremely lucky with the people I was surrounded by and I have a great practitioner and a great strength coach. And, um, you know, I have an incredible sponsor in Saucony who has stood by me through thick and thin, um, regardless of where I've been at in the sport. And so I think all of that made it easier. Um, but again, yeah, injuries are really hard. And so I think when you come off of them, you're kind of, you have this chip on your shoulder, or at least I did where you're just like, all right, like I got to get myself back in the game. I have to be smart and make sure I don't rush things too quickly where I find myself injured again. But at the same time, like I'm eager to get back out there and, and show myself and show everyone else that despite the the interruptions, um, I'm back and I'm still as good, if not better than I was before. Um, so yeah, I mean, injuries are going to happen regardless of who you are. And I think everyone, uh, at this level has endured something, uh, over the last couple years. And so that was my other takeaway is that when you're injured, you're not alone in being injured. Mm -hmm. And there's so many other people out there that you can reach out to that have incredible stories and have overcome incredible things to get back to where they are. And I think that's what was so cool at the trials watching, uh, Alphine, Molly and, um, Sally, just because I know those three have had so many, injuries and have had and have really faced adversity in their careers um so watching those three make the team was really inspiring for me because it was so relatable so many of their stories and you're like all right like you know we've all faced challenges but like look what you can do coming off those challenges and so I think that's the other really cool thing um to remember when you're injured or not cool but like an important thing to remember when you're injured is everyone almost has been injured. And so there's so many people for you to reach out to and um, kind of find that hope and inspiration in and just remember that you're not alone when you're dealing with those frustrations. I love that. And tell everybody, how long did you actually have to take off of running? And what exactly was the big injury? 
So my big injury came right after I ran London uh, in 2017. Um, and I actually did a lot of that training block with the injury. Um, and I raced with the injury. And so when I came off of that, I just want to say, oh, go ahead. she did run a 225 in London. So I just wanted to insert yeah. that in case people didn't know that part of the story. Go on. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So London was, uh, is still where uh, I have my PR. So um, I had an injury called osteitis pubis, um, or as I like to call it now, OP. Um, but basically it's a pelvic injury. And so the tendons that like attach to the top of the pelvic uh, bone or like your pubic symphysis, they were really inflamed and like tearing. Um, and so it was an injury that I'd actually, I first started having symptoms right after I ran New York in 2015, which was my debut marathon. Um, and then we, you know, obviously really focused in 2016 on the track trials and did a lot of track racing. And I kind of had symptoms like on and off all of 2016. Um, and then I took a little bit of a break after the Olympic track trials in 2016 to kind of like figure out what this pain was. Um, and we took a lot of time off at the end of that year. And then I started running again early 2017. Uh, and the symptoms seemed to have like subsided. Um, so we obviously pushed for London. Um, but in that marathon block, the, uh, things just got progressively worse, uh, and the symptoms came back and they came back even stronger than, uh, I was having previously. Um, and so I ended up having to take six months completely off, like not one step of running in that entire six months, which is the longest I've ever taken off since I probably started running in high school. Wow. Um, and so that was definitely one of the hardest, most challenging things I've had to overcome, uh, especially with that injury. Um, because for some athletes, depending on the severity, it can be career ending. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I was really um, concerned about. And that was definitely where I started to have those doubts as far as like, will I come off of this? And then when I do come off of this, will I be able to train uh, and compete at the level that I was, you know, competing at and training at previously? Um, I just didn't know. And then when I did finally start running uh, six months after London, because I basically stopped running in April, uh, right after that race. Um, and so my first run back was in October. And I think I ran one minute on and three minutes of walking like nine times. Wow. Um, or three times. So I did like a total of three minutes of running um, <laughs> and then like 30 minutes of walking. And that was my progression basically back. Um, I wasn't like doing 20 or 30 minute runs for like another probably two or three months. Um, and so I wasn't running consistently again until probably January of 2018. Wow. Um, and then I took a year off of racing. My first race back was in, was the end of March of 2018. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a long time. And so definitely faced a lot of different, uh, emotions and feelings and just, uh, you know, it was, it was hard to, to stay focused at times and, and feel like I was going to be okay at the end of this thing. Yeah, just listening to you talk about it and knowing that, you know, running a 225, that puts you in the mix of names of top American, you know, marathoners of really of all time. And uh, just listening to you talk through that time and not racing for an entire year, knowing that you are a relevant person, you know, in that in that conversation, but that you can't be a part of it right now. I imagine that had to be really hard. It was incredibly difficult. And I think that period of time too just shows like 
you have these incredible highs in the sport and then sometimes they are followed very swiftly by these incredible lows and it's just it can be a really hard thing to kind of balance out and fight through all of those different emotions that you're suddenly feeling like back to back like that it was just really uh it was really difficult and again yeah you run i ran a huge pr uh, it was only my second marathon. Wow. Uh, it was after that race where I was like, I'm like, I'm a marathoner. Like I'm one of the best in the country. Like I'm going to make the Olympic games like this. Like you just have uh, all these goals for yourself after a performance like that, where you're just like, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I really believe that like, I'm capable of doing all these things and I'm following in the footsteps of all these women who I've looked up to for years on end. And to feel like you're kind of in the conversation with idols, so to speak, was just so incredible. And then a month later, I got this diagnosis and I was out of the sport for, you know, the foreseeable future. And you're like, how, what? Like, it shouldn't, it shouldn't work that way. Like, mm -hmm. what is happening? Um, so it was just a really interesting uh, time. Um, but I'm definitely, uh, I think it was a blessing in disguise as I kind of view all injuries. Obviously not in the moment. You don't feel that way. Um, but looking back on it, uh, I basically had to like restructure myself and kind of like reset like all the like I had to do so much gym work. I had to do so much strength work, so much rehab, uh, so much body work. I had to really do a lot of things that I probably wasn't doing as much of that mm -hmm. I should have been doing um, leading up to this injury. And so I came off of all of that so much stronger and my body was so much better equipped to actually handle the type of training that I was trying to do previously. Um, and so I really feel like that injury in a way made me so much stronger and made me realize all the areas that I really needed to focus more, uh, and, and turn more attention to that I wasn't doing before the injury. And so I think now I'm so much stronger. I'm such a stronger runner, um, than I was before the injury, but it sadly took something like that for me to actually fill in all those holes. Yeah. I, I think it seems like it's a super common thing because you, you learn to fix everything and you're like, I should have been doing all this, these things <laughs> yeah. all along, but how yep. like going through all of it, I'm just thinking, how happy are you that you got that, you got that 225, you, you placed so high in London and at least you like proved something first because like, sometimes I feel like we need to um have a day like that to say okay I am I am in the conversation even though you had to take all that time off at least you had that moment where you and that entire cycle and that race where you you uh you let us know Laura Thwee is here to <laughs> be a part of this scene yeah no I definitely I mean uh, there's never a good timing to be injured, yeah. but, uh, I was definitely grateful that I was able to squeak out, squeak out that performance <laughs> because even though, you know, you take all of that time off after and you're essentially rebuilding yourself and you're battling all these different questions, uh, with, if you're, you know, if you're going to be able to return or not. Um, and then I would step back and be like, all right, like you ran 225 injured. Like if you can yeah. run 225, battling this type of injury, just think what you can do when you actually get healthy. And so 
that really did help give me a lot of momentum to work through and deal with uh, everything that came with that injury. And even on a smaller scale last summer, um, you know, 2019 wasn't a great year uh, for me as far as performances. I just really struggled kind of finding that race confidence and finding that momentum in my early races last year. Um, but then Joe and I decided to do the mini uh, in New York, which mm -hmm. anytime I get a chance to race in New York, I always take it. It's kind of like my good luck city. Um, and so I went to the mini um, and it was the US 10K champs last year as well, which was cool. Uh, and I was able to actually finally put on like a really good performance. I think I finished fifth and um, again, kind of raced at the front and just found that confidence that I really hadn't found in any of my earlier races um, last year. And then I think two weeks later, I found out I had a calcaneus stress fracture. So it was like, again, Joe kind of put it in the same way that you framed it. He was like, all right, like this sucks. Uh, we'll get over it. But he was like, I'm so glad we got New York in. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't have done it differently. Like, um, even if we had, <clears throat> he's like, I'm glad we found out you had this, the fracture like after, <laughs> cause he was like, you know, we went to New York and we got that, that race that we really needed and that the we've confidence. been working towards. Yeah. Like all year that we just weren't quite having. And then we finally put it together. And so he's like, we'll come off this injury, but like, we're already in such a better headspace just because we got to squeak in that last race where, um, you kind of are like, all right, like I'm back, like I'm back in the game. So um, there is something to that, I think, too. Hey, everybody, I'm going to take a quick break and let you know that if you are looking for more episodes from me, I have a Patreon page. And when you support the show for as little as three or five dollars a month, you can get access to two additional episodes a month. One, an unfiltered conversation with my husband, Glenn. We record that every single month. And another one with my good friend, Lauren Flores, who is the host of the Up and Running podcast. Uh, I'm looking for additional ways to bring more fun and lively content over there to Patreon supporters. And I'm always open to suggestions for what you would like to see done in return for your support of this show. So check out my Patreon page. When you support now, you get access to over 65 bonus episodes over there. So that's patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. And then make sure you're checking out the other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. That's a network I started this past fall. And we've got two other shows in the network, the Up and Running podcast with Lauren Flores and Abby Stanley. They're bringing you all the news in elite and professional distance running, as well as some really great interviews over there. All right, and then make sure you check out the Illuminate podcast. That's a podcast I host with a couple of my girlfriends and we take turns hosting and we're just highlighting people that are doing really good work in the world. It's a very positive, uplifting show and we would love to have you check it out. That's the Illuminate podcast. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Laura Thweet. So you mentioned your support system a few times and coaching changes. I'm curious, when did you and your boyfriend Alex start dating? Because he's obviously a big part of your support system now. Yeah, so cool. Sorry. Um, we were teammates at the Boulder Track Club. Okay. So I met Alex, oh man, I think he joined in 2015. Okay. Um, and so we became really good friends and obviously teammates um, through the Boulder Track Club. And we started dating... Um, I think it was like the middle of 2018. Okay. Um, so I think around like March of 2018 is when we kind of started to date. 
Um, and then, um, he ended up right around that time. He left the Boulder track club and joined Richie Hansen with roots running. Um, and then I obviously left the Boulder track club at the end of 2018, um, and, uh, found Joe and the girls. So, um, that was kind of our story, but yeah, we'd been friends since 2015, um, and teammates, which uh, was really cool. And why did you choose to leave and go to Joe's group? Um, I, I got to a point where, um, 2018 was a really challenging year, uh, for Lee and the Boulder track club. Um, we obviously had, uh, the passing of John Gray, um, which was extremely Mm -hmm. hard. And, um, I don't know, I think things just, you know, you're never going to recover after something like that. Um, you're never going to be able to go back to what, uh, you had prior to a traumatic, horrific loss like that. Um, and so it changed our group definitely. Um, and definitely, uh, left a, a lasting, uh, impact that I think all of us will continue to carry with us. Um, so we got through, uh, Chicago, which that year I had to drop out. Um, I had an Achilles injury going into that race. Um, and things had just been, um, a little rocky, uh, that fall, uh, and that buildup going into Chicago. And so when we came out the other side of that, uh, Lee was just in a place where he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to continue coaching. Um, and if that was something he wanted to continue doing, uh, and I felt like with the Olympic trials right around the corner, um, and again, just, I was injured and I was frustrated and, um, I just kind of felt like we were no longer the team that we had been prior. Uh, and so I felt like I had to make a change, uh, and that I obviously had to do it sooner rather than later. Uh, and so that's when I decided to part ways. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I just want to give you the opportunity to say anything about John Gray. Just, I just feel like we should create space to acknowledge him and like honor him right now since it was brought up. Yeah. Um, I, I miss John. Uh, he was an incredible athlete. Um, and again, like even just like looking, I don't know. Um, he was someone that I looked up to and I respected because John raced a lot like I race. Um, he was always really aggressive. He always liked to take the race from the front. He liked to make people hurt and he liked to really just, you know, he was just gritty and he was tough and he didn't care if that was the strategy or not going into the race. He was going to do his thing and he was going to race that way. And sometimes that worked out beautifully. Uh, and other times he crashed and burned, but Uh, he always put everything he had on the line every single time. And he loved to race. He just absolutely loved running and he loved, uh, he just loved being out there doing it. Um, he was, he was a tough personality to always get along with. Cause again, he was, he was pretty stubborn and he saw things a certain way. And if you didn't see him that way, well, then that was your fault <laughs> or, you know, not your fault, but like that was on you. And, uh, and so a lot of us, uh, kind of butted heads with John, uh, over the, the years that he was our teammate and we trained with him, but, uh, in all in ways that you kind of look back on and laugh, laugh at because it was just John and he was unapologetically himself. Mm. Um, and he was never going to change or be anyone that he wasn't. And so I think there's a lot to take away from that. And you learn a lot from a person like that. And you learn to really love someone like that. 
Um, and he, like I said, he was an inspiration for me because I watched how John raced and I absolutely loved the way that he went after it. And he was never afraid regardless of who he was going up against. Um, and I just love that kind of gritty mentality. Um, and so he was an incredible person. He was an incredible teammate. Um, you know, we all, uh, learned a lot from him and we all loved having him, uh, be part of our Boulder track club team. And I know Lee loved coaching him. Um, and so he was an incredible person, uh, which is why it was such an unbelievably difficult loss for every single person on that team. Uh, and for the community of Boulder, um, and obviously, um, he was with, um, Team USA Minnesota prior to coming to Boulder. Um, and he ran at, um, oh my gosh, he started at Oklahoma, but then he finished out at, um, uh, my gosh, uh, I'm totally blanking. I on wish the I knew the answer. Gonna, I'm like, should um, I, I can't believe I'm blank. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I'm blanking. He would kill me. He's probably like, I can't believe you don't remember. <laughs> um, but he was an incredible standout in college, um, and then went on to team USA, Minnesota, and then came out to Boulder and found Lee. Um, but I mean, again, he ran sub 28 minutes in the 10 K, uh, he won us cross, uh, or, uh, club cross. Um, he made a couple us teams like John had an incredible resume and was an incredible runner. Um, and so, like I said, we were all lucky to cross paths with him. Um, but again, his, his death, um, really changed our team, uh, and just completely like everyone, like I said, I, you don't recover from something like that. And so, um, all of us, uh, grieved in our own ways. Um, and, uh, it was just an incredibly tough, uh, start to the year. Um, and so that's kind of, uh, like I said, the 2018 was just never going to be the same after something like that happened. Well, thank you for sharing those things. I didn't know a lot about John. So that was, that was good to, to hear. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners, um, enjoyed learning about him as well. I do remember when that happened though. I remember, you know, social media is one thing that can kind of bring everybody together and, and you find out about news, whether it's good or bad. And you kind of see people reaching out and, and sharing stories and condolences and all that. And that if there's anything positive about social media, it's usually that. Totally. And I think one more thing that I just want to like add, I, 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 I sometimes feel like it's a misconce- misconception that that happened and then people weren't supportive of people mm. grieving and dealing through that. And I don't think that's true. I think every single person that was part of that team and that knew John, uh, everyone was trying to support everyone and everyone was trying to help everyone get through that time. Um, but I think at the end of the day, like, you know, you're just, you're only going to be, able to recover so much and put the pieces back so much. I mean, that's always going to leave a hole, uh, in a lot of our, our hearts. Um, but everyone on that team was incredibly supportive mm-hmm. of everyone who was grieving. Um, and sometimes I feel like there's a misconception that people weren't supportive and that's why the, the team fell apart. And that's mm-hmm. not why the team fell apart. Um, we were all trying to help each other through that time. It's just an incredibly difficult time and there's no rule book uh, or there's no way to, to, to help, uh, to help people be able to grieve and, and work through that. But I think everyone did everything that they could to help one another move forward. Yeah, it's certainly true with grieving the loss of someone too, because uh, people process it differently and on different timelines. Yes. You know, it's like, it can hit you a week out, two weeks out, 
someone else totally. might be numbing things and it might hit them six months out. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that's, that's something to acknowledge and I appreciate you, um, sharing that and dispelling yeah. that rumor. If, if anybody <laughs> did think that, um, yeah, well then interesting that you chose to go with Joe's group. And the reason I say that is just because we, what we talked about earlier, that you're the only marathoner in the group. So talk to me about how that played out and why you ultimately decided to train with that group. Yeah. Um, I mean, Joe and Emma were really good friends of mine in college. Uh, we overlapped at CU for three years. Um, and I actually lived with them my senior year. Um, and so they've always been really good friends to me and they've always been in my corner throughout, um, my entire professional career. Uh, and so when I was, you know, looking to make a change and kind of ready for, for a fresh start and, um, trying to figure out who was willing to kind of step in and help me. Cause again, at that point, the Olympic trials were only a year away. And so it's kind of a, an awkward time to be making such a big change. And I'd obviously been with Lee and the Boulder track club for seven years. So it's a really long time to be with uh, a coach and a program. And so, uh, I understand that because of that, you know, uh, it can be coaches are hesitant uh, to, to bring an athlete like that on again, especially so close to the trials, um, because it's obviously going to be such an adjustment period that you kind of have to make room for. And, uh, it can be a lot. And so I wasn't really sure what my options were. Um, I know that I, I did know that I, I didn't want to train by myself. Like I definitely wanted a coach. Uh, I wanted a team, uh, if possible. Uh, I wanted, you know, I want that outside perspective. I want that person to be able to push me when I need to be pushed and to pull me back when I need to be pulled back. And I'm not very good at being able to like dictate that for myself. And so I knew that I didn't want to go at this by myself. Um, but again, it was just kind of like, I didn't really know what my options were or who was going to be willing to step in and help me out. Um, again, just given my history and, and, and where we were, uh, positioned going into, uh, an Olympic year. Um, and so Joe, uh, stepped forward pretty early and was just like, listen, like I've always wanted to work with a marathoner, mm. you know, I've always wanted to work, uh, with someone on the roads. Um, uh, and I think, uh, you and I could really make a great team. And he was basically just like, I'm willing to to step in and help you in any way that I can. And um, he was like, you know, I know I have more of a track team uh, at the moment, but he was like, these girls are some of the best in the world. Mm. And he was like, they can push you and they can challenge you in ways that I don't think you realize. Um, and he was like, there's going to be a lot of overlap. Uh, and what you do with the girls, you're not going to be by yourself doing everything by yourself just because you're uh, you're a marathoner or you're, you know, more of the longer distance. Um, and he was like, I really think that this team can can really give you what you need to help uh, to help you continue, um, you know, pursuing the level that you want to you want to be at. Uh, and he was like, I'm willing to to step in and, and do everything I can to to help you as well. And so um, it was just really comforting and really nice to have someone, again, that was coaching women and men uh, that were at the highest level of the sport, uh, step in and be like, listen, I'm willing to, to take this journey with you. And I'm willing to help you in every way that I can. And my team's willing to help you in every way that they can. And um, he was like, you're going to get an opportunity to train with some of the best. Uh, and that could really open doors that like, you don't even realize are there. Um, <clears throat> and so it was just really cool. And so again, I, I took some time to think about it. Um, just again, because, you know, they are more of a track group and, mm -hmm. uh, I'm definitely, I, you know, at that point I was like, I don't 
think my track days are over. Um, but I knew that as far as the Olympic trials were concerned, the marathon is where I saw myself having the best shot to make the team. Um, and I knew that's, that's my strongest event, uh, at this point in my career. And so I was like, I just wanted to make sure that, um, you know, it was going to be a fit for me as well as Joe and the girls. Um, and so I did reach out to a few other coaches just to kind of see, um, what, uh, other options might be as far as more of just like marathoning groups. Um, but I kept coming back to Joe I kept coming back to Emma and, uh, you know, I love training with Emma in college and, um, we just work really well together. Uh, and at that point, you know, Aish was there and, uh, Dom had just joined, Corey had just joined and, uh, Kayla Edwards at the time was running and it was just this incredible group. Um, and I was just like, you know, it's too good of an opportunity to pass up as far as getting the chance to really train, uh, with these incredible women and see what that could do for me. Um, and again, I was just, um, I loved, I just felt a connection to Joe and I just felt like, you know, he was willing to kind of take a risk with me and, uh, to really try, you know, to challenge himself as well. And, um, I was like, all right, like, let's do this. Like, I think this could really be something really cool. Um, and so I'm so glad that I did because it's been totally, uh, just truly incredible, uh, to be part of this team. And, uh, every day that I get to train with those girls, uh, I just feel so lucky. Um, so, and they've made me better. They've definitely made me better. And, um, I struggled with confidence early last year, like I said, and, um, not only was Joe patient with me, um, and helped me work through some of the demons I was fighting, but, uh, the girls did the exact same thing and they all just slowly helped me get back to believing in myself. Um, and so they're a huge reason why I am where I am right now. So what are some of the big differences of how your training has changed aside from obviously the implementation of like all the extra strength and, and all that stuff since your injury, but with Joe compared to what you were doing training wise with Lee? Yeah. So, um, with Lee, I was training like for a marathon block. Um, I was doing strength work my last I don't know, maybe two years uh, with Lee, um, basically since uh, the pelvic injury, I was doing a lot more strength work, which was great. Um, I was working with a, a guy named Kevin Purvis at the time, who was incredible at helping me manage that injury uh, and heal from it uh, and get stronger coming off of it. Um, but I was doing a lot more mileage with Lee. Um, oh, really? I, was, I was strictly, yeah, I was strictly running. I wasn't doing any type of cross training. Um, I was, you know, I all of Lee's training was in like minutes or like by time. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't really keeping track of like mileage per se, but I bet in a marathon block, I would do close to a hundred miles a week with Lee. Um, <clears throat> and so with Joe, um, I started with him at the end of 2018. I was coming off a really disappointing dropout at Chicago. I was coming off an Achilles injury. Um, and so Joe's position was like, let's take a break from the marathon let's do some track, let's do some shorter distances and just get you back healthy and training. Um, and so that's kind of how we approached the first half of last year. Um, and I was healthy um, up until I got that calcaneous stress fracture in June. Um, and at that point, I had just uh, committed to Chicago. Um, I obviously wanted to return and mm -hmm. uh, make it right <laughs> uh, and finish that race no matter what I had to do to do that. Um, and so when we started my Chicago block, I was obviously only cross training because I was coming off of a stress fracture. And so Joe was, was 
so great. And he was like, let's, let's switch things up. He was like, our goal is to simply get to Chicago healthy. And he was like, if we can do that, I think we can still pull out what we need to at least make sure that you're in for the trials. Um, and so he ended up base. I was basically doing half of my training in the pool, um, and then the altergy and then half of it on the ground. Um, so I was probably only running like maybe like 50, 60 miles a week going into Chicago. Um, and then I was, uh, complimenting that with lots of cross training in the pool. And then at the time I was using the alter G. Um, and so it was a really alternative block, but it worked. I healed from the stress fracture. I came off of it really well. Um, we had about seven weeks of ground running before Chicago, wow. um, but I went into it, <laughs> but I went into it healthy. Um, and Joe gave me a very, uh, strategic plan at Chicago, which I did follow. Um, what was it? But the goal was to, so the goal was to basically just get through halfway around like two thirty to two thirty two pace. Okay. Um, just be really conservative because again, Joe was like, we only have seven weeks of of mm-hmm. running. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like we didn't really know where my fitness was. Like I felt like I was decently fit given the circumstances, but again, like you know you're. I did half of a marathon block really. Mm-hmm. Um, so we weren't really sure where my fitness was. And Joe's like, we have to play it smart. And he was like, if you go out too hard in that first half, your fitness is going to catch you and you will pay for it in that second half. Yeah. And then we've lost what we needed to get out of the day. So I went out really conservative just to make sure that I would be able to run at least evenly through the second half. Um, I felt really good though. Uh, and so I got through the first half of that race. I think I went through in like, 74 30 maybe okay um and then I negative split and I ended up running like 229 um I felt unbelievable in the second half and so Joe was like if you get through the first half on our plan being really conservative and paying attention to splits he's like I'll let you race the second half and you can kind of just run off of how you feel which is what I ended up doing um but the block um as far as like what we learned doing that because we had to do that um because of the stress fracture we mirrored a very similar block going into the trials. Um, I probably averaged 65 miles a week going into Atlanta. Really? Um, I did have a few. Yeah. I did have, and Joe told me, Joe told me all this after. Um, but I, he told me that I probably averaged 65 miles a week of running. Of course we had a couple weeks here and there where I probably got closer to like 75, um, or 80 maybe. Um, but we only had like a couple of those weeks sprinkled in. So he was like, your average was probably 65 miles a week. And then we were, um, again, uh, um, pairing that with, I was doing, one full day only in the pool. Um, and then I was doing all of my doubles in the pool. Um, and then obviously all my strength work in the gym. So we basically did half of the training in the pool and then half of the training running. Um, you know, we were obviously able to do, uh, longer runs, uh, and like higher quality running workouts in the trials block because I was obviously healthy. Um, but we still did a lot of stuff in the pool. Um, and so that's the biggest difference obviously is I've never, um, I've never done that in my career. I've always just run. Um, I've always been someone that is like, why would you cross train when Mm -hmm. you can run? Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously the injuries that I've had, uh, have changed that. And I, Joe was kind of like, all right, like, how do we get like, how do we get longevity out of your career? Mm. Um, he was like, you obviously like your body can't quite train at 
at least right now, you know, we can't do hundred mile weeks into a marathon block. Like your body just isn't at a place where like, you're going to be able to handle that successfully. He was like, I'm not saying you're never going to be able to do that again, but he was like, right now, that's just not something that like makes sense for you to do. Um, and he's like, especially with the marathon, it's like a lot of wear and tear on your body, obviously. So he's like, how can we change training and change how we approach training to make sure that we get everything that you want out of the next couple years. Um, and he's like, your biggest challenge is to stay healthy. So he was like, we're going to approach the trials just like we approached Chicago because the goal is to get there healthy. And he's like, if we can get there healthy, that's half the battle, if not more for you. And then he was like, anything can happen on the day. And he was like, I'm confident we can get fit doing this alternative approach. And so I was like, all right, like I'm in. And obviously Chicago went well. Um, and exceeded both of our expectations. Um, and so going into Atlanta, I was 100% confident in this new system that we had kind of uh, developed. Um, and so that's what we did. And it worked. So um, again, like moving forward, I don't know if I'll do exactly that. But um, that's been the biggest change is just implementing so much more cross training um, and just uh, making that more of a focus than I've ever done before, again, with the goal of just trying to stay healthy. Wow. Do you think in like the top 20 women that completed the trials that you probably had the lowest mileage going in? Well, that's what Joe told me. Um, he laughed afterwards and um, he basically was just like, it was incredible at how confident you were mm -hmm. given you did probably half of what um, the majority of those women did as far as mileage going into that race. Um, but he was like, it was really cool that you were so confident in what we had done, even though it was so different. Um, but he was like, you, you know, you probably, again, he's like, I don't know, but he's like, you probably, uh, yeah, like you did, you know, you had half the, the volume in your legs just because we weren't able to train, uh, in a more traditional way as far as the marathon goes. So he just like, he, he was like, yeah, he's like, it was incredible at how confident you were given that you'd done half of what those women had probably done from a volume standpoint. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, really inspiring actually that you could place fifth in that field. Um, and really had such a true shot at making that team running those miles. I mean, I know that you obviously were doing, a crap load of cross training, you were still getting the work yeah. in. Uh, but that's pretty inspiring because I do think that a lot of people just want to run. It, I mean, it's simple. It's putting your shoes on yeah. and going out the door is simple. That's what we want to do as runners because there's no other extra gear or anything. It's just your shoes and the ground and yourself. Um, yeah. But I hope that this is encouraging to people to know that there isn't one way to do things because high mileage looks glamorous a lot of times and you think if the mileage is there that the race execution will work, you know, well, but that's just not always the case. Yeah. And I think you nailed it. Um, and that's kind of the point that I want to try and get across is there's not one way to train for anything. Um, and I think, you know, like you said, th 
there's so many positives to social media um, and just the connections that that allows us all to have to one another. But at the same time, it can be a dangerous game because I think it can be really easy to see what everyone else is doing mm-hmm. and to see all these workouts and uh, all the all this volume and these incredible things that so many people are doing in their training um, and think, okay, if I'm not doing that, then like I'm not going to be as good or I'm not going to be able to do what they're doing. And that's not the case at all. Um, and I think there's so many, you have to find the right type of training for you. And it really is what keeps you healthy and what gives you the confidence to be able to go out and race the way that you want to. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, high mileage works for a lot of people and people run really well off of that. Um, but it doesn't always have to be that narrative for people. And I think that's really important. That's an important point to drive home because, you know, I've fallen victim to that many times myself, where again, I compare what I'm doing to what I think, um, to what everyone else is doing or to what my competitors are doing. And I suddenly think that I'm not doing the right thing or that I'm not as fit or that I'm not going to be as good as them. Um, when that's not true at all, it's just, you have to find what works for you. And that's different for every single person. Yeah, I love that Joe said it was so cool to see you so confident out there knowing that you had gone into that race with such a less such less mileage on your legs than everybody else and I wonder where did that confidence come from? I think it I I think it came from the fact that I was so confident doing the training we were doing in our block. Mm-hmm. And yes, I was doing a lot of supplemental cross training, but the miles that Joe and I did do were, were perfect. Like I did a ton of training up at Magnolia road, um, here in Boulder, which is it's probably like a half hour outside of Boulder, um, up in Netherland. It's at probably 8,500 feet. Um, but it, like it simulates Atlanta perfectly. It's just constant up and down and up and down. So you can never really get comfortable. And we did a lot of long runs up there. Um, our training was really simple. You know, we didn't, uh, we didn't do anything super flashy or, you know, super glamorous. As you said, it was all very simple training, simple workouts, you know, 800 reps, K reps, um, you know, doing, uh, lo- more volume on workout days to get in that running, but then, um, doubling in the pool and then doing one full recovery day after the long runs where I only did the pool. And I don't know, the block just went so smoothly and I was healthy throughout that entire block. And I just felt so strong and I just felt so confident in how healthy I was for the first time in a really long time. And, um, I was just mentally back to that place where I loved what I was doing. And that was Joe's whole goal for me when I started with him. He was like, we just need to get you back to loving mm. running, to loving what you do. And I've always been a believer that if you don't love what you do um, and if you don't love running, uh, it's such a hard sport that I just don't, I think it's really hard to make it if you don't absolutely love it. And yeah, you're going to have days where you don't love it. I mean, that's, you know, that's obvious. We're not going to love it all the time because it is so hard and it challenges us in so many ways. But at the end of the day, I think you really have to have that passion and that love. And I would kind of lost that a little bit, I think, with just all the injuries and then like the difficulty and um, switching coaches and again, trying to like adapt to something new and find yourself within that new system. And um, it had just been kind of a battle. And to so and to so to finally be in a place where it was all clicking again. And I just had that love for what I was doing. And I was just so happy to be back in that place and so grateful for Joe 
for helping me get there uh, and the team for helping me get there um, that I, it just felt great to finally like be back in that place. And so I think a lot of the confidence came from that because I think I'd been missing that for a couple years. And what did you tell yourself morning of the trials? Because the confidence that you ran with in the way you ran that race, even though I know you said it wasn't the race plan to be so aggressive <laughs> at the, at the start. Um, I think that we'd all love to know what was going through your mind that morning because we saw you out there just competing so fiercely. Yeah. I mean that morning I was weirdly very calm. Um, mm. you know, like it's such a, it's such a big day and we only get that day every four years. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to put a ton of expectation and pressure on the day because again, like really it's something that you're training for. You've been training for, for three or four years. Like it's kind of always, it's always that thing. I think that's on the back of people's minds. Um, and so it's that day's finally here and I expected to wake up and be like super nervous and like angsty, but like I was weirdly calm and I was just like, this is your day. Like, this is your day. And you've worked really hard. I mean, everyone obviously has worked really hard. Um, but I was like, Laura, you've worked so hard. You've overcome so many different types of things to be on this starting line. And to be honest, a year ago, I didn't even know if I could make it to the Olympic trials marathon. Like, mm -hmm. that's where I was at as far as like, again, just having the injuries and then having the big coaching change. And I just felt like I hadn't really run a great marathon since London. And so I was kind of like, is this something that I can even still do? And so to just be there on the day and to be on that start line with all of those incredible women, I was just like, you know what, like you have nothing to lose. You've worked really hard for this moment. Like go out there and get your moment. Like this is your day to just be you, to love what you're doing. And I was just so grateful that I was there. And, you know, again, like, you know, you have my family was there. I had high school friends that flew out that were there. All of Alex's family was there. Like his team was there. Um, you know, Joe and Aisha were there. Saucony was there. We had so much support from Saucony. Um, it was just such a cool day because all these people that mean so much to you are all there supporting you. And so you're just kind of like, all right, like, have fun with it and go out there and do what you love to do. And so that's kind of what I was thinking um, going into the race. I was kind of just like, have fun today. Like mm. no matter what happens, just enjoy it and have fun because this is what you love to do. And these moments are, they don't, they're not something that like you, you should never take those moments for granted because you, they're not guaranteed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Those moments on start lines like that are not guaranteed. And so I think for me to be on that start line after the last two, two and a half years of just kind of having a lot of ups and downs, I was like, I'm so glad that I'm on the start line and I'm just going to enjoy the day for whatever it is. I love that. Have fun because you can have fun. Yeah. You can work really hard and put it all on the line and still have fun. Totally. And I like I um uh when I was coaching um at the high school uh that I, I coached a high school cross country team for like seven years. Mm -hmm. Um and I used to always tell my kids that racing is the fun part. Mm -hmm. Um I was like, training's obviously fun, but I was like, we train really hard and we do all this unglamorous work, so to speak, so that for the racing, like the racing is like why we work so hard. And so when you get to race day, like, yeah, you're going to be nervous and that's natural and that's, you know, that's okay. But like, remember why you do it and remember that like you've trained so hard and you've put in all these hours 
for the races. Like this is where you get to show off all the hard work that you put in. Um, and so I reminded myself of that on the trials day. I was like, this is why you do it. Like the race is the fun part. Like this is where we really get to have fun, uh, in the sport that we do. And how do you think that at mile 24? (laughs) (laughs) so yeah maybe at that point I was like oh my god (laughs) it's not fun anymore no um no at that point I obviously could see Sally Mm -hmm. and so I was like that's that's the team like you're Mm -hmm. looking at it like it's right there and uh, I saw Joe around mile 23 or 24 and he yelled at me he was like this is your moment Mm -hmm. he was like this is what you've worked so hard for this is what you've battled like all the things you battle to overcome. Like it's for this moment. He was like, go get your moment. Like Mm -hmm. it's right there. And so you're looking at it. And then I knew Desi and you know, the rest of the field, like you didn't know at that point, like all these incredible women are chasing you. And then you're chasing Mm -hmm. the team that you can actually physically see at that point. Um, and so that's what was keeping me going. You're just like, all right, like he's right. Like I've, you know, we've all worked so hard. Like what's another two miles of just digging deeper than you've ever thought possible. Uh, as far as like how deep I, I mean, it's like the deep one. Some, I haven't been, I haven't gotten to a place in a race in a long time where I've dug as deep as I dug at the trials. Um, and so that's, what's so cool about an Olympic trials is like it, it really allows you to go deeper than like, I think we think we're capable of. Um, and so that's what I was doing in that moment. And that's, what's keeping you going. Also the fear of like, who's chasing you down. Right. Cause I knew Desi, I knew Desi was still there. I knew it. I knew I hadn't dropped her. So she also like put the fear of God in me because I knew <laughs> she was chasing me down and she did. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was just, uh, every mile of that race was incredible. And even obviously when it got really, really, really hard at the end, um, it's just that Olympic trials moment where you're just like, all right, like this is, this is where we really see what we're made of, or at least that's what I was telling myself, you know? Yeah. I was thinking that because obviously with someone like Des chasing you down, like one of the most consistent marathoners oh <laughs> ever, <laughs> yeah. had, did, did you go through your mind also though of like the other knowns, you know, like Jordan and other Sarah yeah. Hall and other people that you're like, where did they go? <laughs> Well, I didn't know where, and again, like, yeah, you don't know where any of those women are. And there was that turnaround point, like, I don't know, on that little extra loop that we did before you start coming back to the finish. And so you make this like U-turn and you can kind of see, like, you can see the women ahead of you, but then you can kind of see who's behind Mm. you. But at that point when I turned, I could only really see Desi. And so I didn't, I didn't know where everyone else was. And then as I was like running further, you see people coming to that turnaround Um, and I knew we were all pretty spaced out, but I also knew I was like slowly dying a slow death. So (laughs) again, you're just trying to like will yourself to like keep moving forward with everything you have. But yeah, I didn't like at that point, I didn't see Jordan and, um, I didn't see like Sarah or Emily or like Molly huddle. Um, but like, you know, you just, you just have to know that they're all like women like that are all still there. And I was like, they're the best of the best. And so everyone's going to be fighting to the death. And Mm so you're just like, I have to keep going. Like I, like, I just didn't know. And I knew Kellen was back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, another person that like is just incredibly gritty um, and is just going to fight to the death. And so, you know, all those women are, are chasing you and you're like, Oh God, Yeah, <laughs> it was terrifying. It was a long three miles home. <laughs> oh, I bet. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And you know, if anybody's keeping their head in the game in the last two miles of a marathon, it's Des Linden. <laughs> it's Desi. 
I knew I knew she was there. I just didn't know how close. Yeah. And then when she came up, she came up on my shoulder at like 800 to go. And I was like, you've got to be kidding it. me. <laughs> I can't kill her. Yeah. <laughs> She's really hard to kill. And I did it. She almost killed me. <laughs> but I loved hearing you recap it with Lauren and talking about how when you and Kellen and Des were kind of together and Des kind of nudged you like, hey, this is our time. Like we have to go chase that spot. Only, you know, And you all knew like only one of us is getting it, but like we got to go. Well, it was just so cool because uh, it was it was just a cool moment because Desi like like the race at that point had split open and you're watching basically the top three like mm. run away from you mm-hmm. and Desi and I think we I think that was at mile 21 maybe so like yeah you have like four more miles to go five more miles to go and her point was like the race isn't over yeah. like it's not over and anything can happen so let's keep racing and chasing them down like don't give up basically was like how I interpreted what she was saying um and it got my head back in the game because it was really it's really disheartening when you see that you know that move's coming the move comes and then you're suddenly like you're like okay I have to respond but like you're also like, we're far enough out that like, if I respond like on this hill, am I going to implode? Like you're trying to figure out in that split second, like what to do. Um, and then you see them pull away and you're like, Oh, well that's it. Like I missed it. And Desi was like, no, you didn't miss it. Like keep your head in the game and like keep chasing. And you're like, okay, like, yeah, what am I doing? So it was a really cool moment. And I'm so grateful for her in that moment because she just reminded you like what we were all there to do. And that, yeah, the, the break happened and we missed it. But like the race isn't over, like anything could happen still. And you're like, yeah, that's right. And so then, you know, that's how we raced the last five miles was just giving it everything you had. But wow. she just kind of reminded us to do uh-huh. that. Like, again, that's how I interpreted it. She wasn't obviously saying all yeah, of this. Yeah. But um, when she was like motioning for us to like get going, I was like, she's absolutely right. Like the race isn't over. Like, don't don't throw your like, don't give up. Like, keep pushing because, you know, you never know what could happen. That's so cool. You'll never forget that moment. And I won't. It was incredible. We'll never forget the recap. That's so cool. What do you think your biggest takeaway from the race at the Olympic trials was? Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me was just that I, I still have it. (laughs) Yeah. I, Walked away from that race, obviously disappointed because anyone that doesn't finish in the top three at the Olympic trials is going to feel disappointed. But I walked away being like, there's a lot of positives for me to take away. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I kind of resurrected my career at that race. Yeah. Um, And I felt like I have a lot of exciting things in the marathon to look forward to. Um, And I feel like I can go another four years. Um, and again, like anything can happen and things can change, but I walked away feeling so incredibly confident in myself and what I was able to do in that race. Um, I was like, Laura, it's not over. Like it's over right now, like in this immediate moment, like you miss the team, uh, and that's going to sting for a little bit, but I was like, it's not over. Like there's still so many incredible opportunities I hope to have in the marathon. And so I think that was kind of my biggest takeaway. I can, I know how sad it must've been. I can imagine how sad you must have been. I actually can't imagine to not make the team, but it, it does from the outside looking in feel like, man, you had yourself a day and we were all watching. And I feel like as a, as a fan, you really, like you said, you resurrected it. I loved, I love how you put that. Thank you. Yeah. That's, I mean, 
that's the only word I can think of because that's how I felt. I was like, all right, like I'm back in the game. I think I proved that to myself. I know I proved that to myself, but I think I proved that to a lot of other people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so again, I think over the next three or four years, um, there's still some really exciting things to be had. So um, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And as Joe said, it's going to be bittersweet. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also there's a lot of things to take away that are really great. And so he was like, make sure to focus on those things too. Yeah, there's still a lot of victory that came from that day for you. Yep. And a big day for Saucony, Molly Seidel. She's a Saucony athlete. So cool. And again, like all like so, so many people from the company were there. Um, They were at, I think, Big Peach running and they had it up on the screen and Noah Drotty was like Mm. commentating it for everyone. And they were all screaming and yelling and, you know, to have Molly Huddle and uh, Molly Seidel and me in that lead pack in the women's race. But then you also had Brian Schrader and Jared Ward in that big group of men for a long time uh, on the men's side Mm -hmm. of things like and, you know, they launched their new Endorphin Pro Racer, which we were all wearing. And they put so much time and so much energy into the development of that shoe to make sure that their athletes, um, you know, had every advantage to really go out there and be the best that we could be on that stage. And so it was just such a cool day for us as a company. Um, it just made it even sweeter. That's so cool. Yeah. So Alex runs with Noah's group. So are you all friends yeah. with Noah and Emma, his girlfriend? We are. Yes, we've gone on a few double dates oh, fun. Uh, with Noah and Emma. Um, we love them dearly. Um, they're incredible people. Um, they have great sense of humor, great perspective on things. And, um, you know, I, I when Noah first moved here. Um, I can't remember when that was maybe like 2014 or 2015. Um, he first moved to Boulder. He worked at Fleet Feet Sports with me. Um, and so he and I go way back in that sense. Um, and, uh, Emma was also involved with the store as well. So, um, yeah, they're an incredibly awesome couple and, uh, we're lucky to be friends with them. I love that. Yeah. Um, Noah's from Indianapolis where I live. So yes, that's right. Yeah. Indie boy. Yeah. (laughs) And so when I interviewed Emma on this podcast, they actually were able to come over because it was like over the holidays. So we did it in person, which was really fun to do in person. That's awesome. Yeah, they're good people. They're just, yeah, the people that when you're around them, you're just like, you just have a good time. Yeah, for sure. And what I love too about Noah so much is like, I love, obviously he takes his running really seriously and he's really good and he's a huge name on the scene. But like, I just feel like there's this like really good balance of not taking himself too seriously (laughs) with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's why he's so lovable because he has struck that balance really well and he can make fun of himself and he can just kind of roll with the punches and just have a really good time, but then also trains really hard and has obviously had some incredible performances himself. And so, uh, I've always, I loved that he signed with Saucony. Um, I was so stoked that we got him. Um, and so, yeah, that's the cool thing too, is like, we just have an incredible group of athletes. Um, and we all kind of feel like a family and everyone supports everyone. And so, um, with how many of us were obviously at the trials, it was just such a really cool day for everyone. I think. That's awesome. Okay, Laura. Well, this, I, we could go on forever. This is, you're way too easy to interview. <laughs> <laughs> you make it easy. I feel like I'm just having a fun conversation over coffee. Oh, <laughs> it's me great. Too. Thank you. <laughs> me too. I feel like that too. Um, well, let's do end of the podcast questions and, and wrap this up a little bit. What is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you have not done yet? Um, I mean, professionally, uh, with running, 
Uh, I would like to uh, be top three at a major. I haven't done that yet. Um, I would like to do that. Um, and also I would like to make an Olympic team still. <laughs> um, so I guess those are the two things with running that I would like to still do, um, while I'm, uh, in the middle of my career. And then I don't know, personally, I want to be a better cook. I mean, mm. I know that's like a really simple thing, but I do like cooking. I just not very good as far as like taking risks with what I make. So I make the like same three meals like every mm. week. Um, so I guess like being more bold and, uh, following like I have Shalane's cookbook and I've only made like two things from it so I want to be like more confident in being able to actually like you know be better I don't know be better in the kitchen I don't know that's kind of a weird one but off the top of my head that's like the first thing that I thought of was like be a better put more energy into what you make <laughs> yeah you know in our family my husband does most of the cooking and I think part of it is that he has like his like five or six go-tos and he's just like, oh, we're just having this tonight. And it's always super That's simple. That's what I do. Right. <laughs> yeah. But so when I cook, I'm like, I want it to be this like extravagant thing, which is why I don't cook very often because I'm like, I need <laughs> yeah. to find a recipe and it has to be different. And um, yes, and I, I overthink it and yes. then I limit myself yes. because I overthink it. <laughs> exactly. And then I'm like, then I just go nowhere with it. Then I'm, you know, yep. then I rely on him. Um, but I keep telling myself when you come up, when you find a good recipe that's like somewhat simple and can be in into a, the rotation, just like you need to write it down and be like, here is one of our yes. go-tos rather than just mac and cheese and grilled cheese or whatever. And um, I'll put the link to this in the show notes. I just found from my friend Molly this really good sweet potato enchilada recipe. Oh, yes. Perfect. So good. And it was so simple. It only just, it took me a little while <clears throat> Only because I had never made it before, right? So, right. I'll put the link to the recipe because everybody needs oh, it. That in would rotation. be great. It's really good. Yes. Um, See, that's the thing. There's so many simple things out there that you're like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Like, I just need to know. And then I need to remember because my fear is that I'll then I'll forget. Like, in two weeks, I'll forget yeah. that this was a thing that we did. And so I need to just write it down <laughs> yeah. and be organized. Um, well, one thing I was going to ask, though, earlier that I didn't, and when you said, you know, professionally with running or in general, uh, I was thinking about this as you were talking about your injury and you said, you know, like maybe this is the end of, you know, could this be the end of my career or whatever? I might not run at that high level again. What, what would you do? Like, what did you go to school for? What would you do if running was off the table? Yeah. So I went to school for sociology. Okay. Um, and so my intention with that was to, go back and get my master's in guidance counseling and then work as a guidance counselor at the high school level and then coach. Okay. Um, because I started coaching, um, at the high school level, like right when I graduated from college and I absolutely loved it. So I don't know if I would do the guidance counseling piece anymore. I think I would love to coach at the high school or collegiate level. Um, also I love to write. Um, and I don't do enough with that. Um, oh. and so I would like to maybe do some type of writing, whether it's a blog, which I've never started, uh, or like freelance work. Mm -hmm. I don't really know, but something along those lines. Oh, cool. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I meant to ask that earlier and I, it kind of just like trailed off and I didn't, it didn't make sense to bring up. So <laughs> I'm glad well, we brought it back around. So. Yeah. I'm glad we got it answered. Uh, what's an accomplishment you're most proud of? I think, um, I guess like running wise, um, one of my proudest accomplishments is like winning us cross here in Boulder. That just meant a lot to me. Um, and that was one of the races where I first really felt like I have 
what it takes to be to be great at this level. Um, I think that will, yeah, that's a moment I will always cherish um, and look back on and smile. Um, but then also too, like I, I've really enjoyed coaching, like I said, um, and you know, so watching my kids fall in love with the sport and, um, a lot of them continue on, uh, and compete collegiately. A lot of, a lot of the girls I've worked with over the years have actually gone on and run at CU. Um, and so I'm just really proud of, of them. And, you know, I just feel, I hope that I, um, you know, have been able to pass on, you know, a love for running to them, but, um, just also helping them believe in what they're capable of. Um, I'll always cherish those moments watching my kids, um, like I said, fall in love with the sport. And then a lot of them have continued on collegiately and had a lot of success. And it's just been really, really cool to be part of those part of their journeys, um, in the sport. It's been really awesome. Okay. And who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring that you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Um, I'm going to say Desi. This mm. is the first name that comes to mind. I don't know Desi very well. We haven't had a lot of overlap um, up to this point as far as like races that we've done. Um, but I got to talk to her for the first time, um, really, like as far as having a conversation uh, in drug testing after the trials. And mm. it was awesome. And so I would like to have, yeah, I would like to have cocktails with her. Whiskey. Yes. Whiskey with Desi. <laughs> Which, by the way, Desi, if you're listening to this, I just got a peanut butter whiskey. It's called Screwball. I don't know if that's up your alley, but it is delicious. Really? So good. Are you drinking this on the rocks? What are you drinking it with? Yeah. No, I'm drinking it on the rocks, which like I normally wouldn't be able to do that with whiskey. But this one is so smooth and it does. It has like this kind of peanut butter like finish to it. So it's very easy to drink on the rocks. And then I feel really cool that I'm drinking it on the rocks. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I would drink Screwball with Desi. That's okay. what I would do. <laughs> I love that. And you guys can feel fancy together. I love that. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is a nonprofit you like to support? Um, the one that comes to mind is um, One World Running. Um, we worked with them very closely when I was working, um, at all the different, um, running retail stores, uh, over the last few years, but they take, um, recycled like old shoes or even like gently used shoes. Um, and they send them all over the world to communities, um, and people that are in need. Um, and then they also recycle them into like making tracks and like turf fields. Um, and Mike Sandrock, like, uh, is one of the people that, that heads that up and runs that at least here in Boulder. Um, and so I think it's just a really cool thing that, um, he, uh, started working on years back. Um, and it's something that the Boulder community, um, really has, um, started, uh, participating in. And so that was cool to kind of be a part of that when I was working and running retail. That's so cool. I love that. And it's still where I take all my shoes now. Yeah. (laughs) I take them to various running stores and then Mike picks them up and sends them off and does all different things, but make sure that every single shoe that's donated um, has a purpose. So I don't know. I think it's, it's a cool program. I love that. That's so good. Um, One thing I was good. I haven't done this in a while. I haven't asked this question in like years, but I'm just curious in, in the times of, of quarantine, I'm like trying to find ways to, things to lift people's spirits. Is there anything online or anybody on social media that you have specifically enjoyed following during this time? 
Um, I mean, I obviously love following Emma. Um, she's very creative in all the different ways that she uses social media and that she finds ways to connect to people of all ages. Mm. Um, it's just, it's just really cool. All the different, uh, baking that she's doing with different athletes and meal prep and, um, you know, all of her different Instagram lives with so many other people. I don't know. Like, so I follow Emma really closely. Cause again, I try and, um, I just think it's so cool how she's able to use her platform to, to reach so many people. Uh, and especially in a time like this, she continues to just create fun content, which I guess is kind of what I'm prone to following is, um, you know, lighter, lighter things on social media right now, just to kind of like get that laugh in. Um, and so that's, yeah, I guess that's the person that instantly comes to mind of someone that I always turn to to be like, all right, I need a laugh or like, what are you doing today? That is fun and, and interesting and makes me feel like things are maybe a little bit normal. Have you like jumped into any of her flippy cup challenges? No, I haven't, but that's, I watched part of one the other night. It's so funny. Like I would never think to do that. I loved that. <laughs> I love the idea. And I think I, she was using, yeah, I think she was using noon and Joe was using like Budweiser. Like, oh, really? So funny. <laughs> oh, funny. Well, I, <laughs> so funny. I saw it pop up. I was like, I think I was already laying in bed though. Cause you know, you guys are two hours behind us and, or yeah, uh, yeah behind us. So I was like later for me, but I, was like, I kind of want to jump in and do that. Like, I think that would be fun. I love Flippy Cup. And we call it Flippy Cup here. Me too. Okay, you I do know, Flippy? I, I was going to say I love, well, I say Flip, but I noticed you were calling it Flippy, and I like that. <laughs> yeah, I think most people call it Flip Cup. But, like, here in the Midwest, I went to IU, and we called it Flippy Cup. So every time I say that, I feel like people are like, it's Flip Cup, Lindsay. <laughs> you're like no it's not it's flippy cup. it's flippy but I I wanted to jump in and I almost went and got my husband I think he was downstairs watching a different show you know we're we're at that point in our marriage yeah. where like he's on the couch watching one <laughs> yeah. show I'm watching love is blind upstairs <laughs> oh love is blind so good did you finish it so good oh yeah I binged it so hard see <laughs> I love shows like that I love like more like reality kind of some people refer to it as like trashy yeah. TV but I'm all about that like I love that life well I I started it and was like super distracted not really into it and then my sister convinced me she was like just stay the course like it gets better <laughs> stay the course stay the course that's so funny and she's like you gotta stay if nothing else for that Jessica girl because she's totally crazy and so now I'm to the weddings. I'm about to get to the weddings. Oh. So I still have a little oh, bit to go. Oh, it gets good. Okay. It gets good. Well, yeah, you're and, about to see some crazy stuff. <laughs> well, and then I, this is when I'm laying in bed trying to decide if I want to try to join Emma Coburn's Flip Cup, um, <laughs> which my husband would have rolled his eyes and been like, I'm not getting on Instagram live. You're crazy. Um, but <laughs> I'm, so in the meantime, you know, because it pops up when someone you follow goes live. So that's why I'm seeing Emma yeah. going live because I'm sitting on Instagram looking up these people on the show. Love is blind. <laughs> like, I, I love that you do that, too. <laughs> and they all have like two million followers or something ridiculous yes. like that. I'm like, oh, yes. my gosh, this is great. And there's two of them are still together or maybe even three, three of the couples. Yeah, I think three. Yeah, three of them are together, um, which is crazy. Uh, that it actually like they did it. I mean, obviously they have, you know, there's a, only time will tell, but yeah, three of them did it. It's crazy. Wait, so it's Cameron and Lauren, um, 
um barnett and uh, amber. barnett and um amber and Gigi and oh that's who's Damien? still together yeah. see i'm surprised I, I haven't gotten far enough but i'm surprised because kenny and whatever his girl friend's yep, name was that was a shocker you're like what they seemed i haven't like, gotten to it yet they seem the most stable so far though they do. Yeah. They seem the most stable and just like, again, like their families were like both really supportive and it just kind of seemed like they, yeah, like they really had like known each other for a long time and like were just instantly compatible. Yeah. Um. So that one was crazy. And then, I mean, obviously like uh, Jessica and Mark, you were like, well, that's never going to work <laughs> out. Doesn't, doesn't look good. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's one of those people where you're like, you really just should not drink alcohol. Like you just, no. you really just should not oh, partake poor in Jessica. that. Yeah. I, yeah she, I, like halfway through, I was like, stop drinking. Stop like drinking. stop. She would just get drunk, so drunk in every single social setting yeah. and then just make a complete fool of herself. And you're like, Jessica, no. You're 36. And then I saw a meme that was really funny. Um, because the entire show, she just keeps saying like, and he's 24. Mark is only 24. And so it was just like, that was basically like the meme was just making fun of like that phrase. Cause it was said so often during the whole show. Well, and <laughs> like, we know he's 24, <laughs> but like in all reality, like you seem 24 and he seems 36. Yes. Right. Yes. Like it should have been flipped. Yeah. Mark was just like, he seemed very mature. I agree. Um, so anyway, that one was painful because you're like, oh, Mark. Poor oh, Mark. Mark. I'm sorry. Yeah. Too bad Mark didn't get connected with like a 28-year-old, like just level-headed girl. Now, yeah. the other thing, and we'll we'll move on, guys. I, I, I'm wondering how many people have watched this, though, because I think because of the quarantine stuff, that show has probably done way better than it was ever going to do, right? Yeah, like it got renewed for another se- for two more seasons, I think. Yeah, I feel like that's been. I feel like shows like that are probably doing really well because of the quarantine. Because everybody's like, oh, what well, else look am at, I gonna do? Look at Tiger King. Yeah, it's gone. Like who who hasn't watched? Like that's like the talk of just everyone. Like Flow Track was doing stuff on Tiger King. <laughs> now, my only other comment on Love Is Blind is the Barnett and Amber situation. I, as a mom of of four kids who has like played the stay at home role. And like now my role, well now I'm like all stay home because of everything going on. But, uh, I I'm pretty, I'm a part-time working mom. So I still am home with my kids a lot. If she says, I want to be a stay at home mom one more time, like it's the most glamorous thing in the world. And that part that's going to just take care of her. I'm like, girlfriend, let me invite you to my home in Indianapolis. So you can really see what being a stay at home mom looks like. Amber thinks a stay-at-home mom is just, like, being taken care of, like, spending all this money on, like, her makeup and, like, all (laughs) these things she likes to do and, like, minimally taking care of a child. Like, I don't think she actually, like, knows what a stay-at-home mom is. No. Stay-at-home moms work so hard. So, so, so hard. It's, like, I don't know. It's just funny because she says that a lot and she has all this debt and just wants him to take care of her. Um, And you're just, like, oh, Amber. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't nothing glamorous about it, it unless you no. have a full-time nanny and your stay-at-home mom. <laughs> right. Which I can tell you that Amber is not going to have a full-time nanny. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too good. I love it. I'm so glad that you were into the show too. Cause that was, that was fun. Oh, yeah. I still have a ways to go. So I, I get to look forward to a few more episodes still. Um, okay. So our last big question, and I'm sure that coming off of all this love is blind talk, you are like 
really into deep thinking now, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, no. La- the last question <laughs> I always ask everybody is what is your one message to send to the world? No, oh, no. Don't go on Love is Blind. <laughs> yeah, watch Love is Blind. No. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I hate to be, like, really corny, but, like, I guess just going back to some of the things I was saying earlier about, like, myself, I would say, like, fall in love with what you do. Mm-hmm. I know, again, that's, like, super corny, but, like, I really think that's a great way to get the most to like really be able to live a life that you're proud of and a life that you love is being able to make choices or decisions that allow you to really love the path that you're on. And I know that's easier said than done and not everyone's going to love their job and not everyone has their dream job and whatever the case may be. But there's so many different little ways I think in life to really like get the most out of it and to really, um, to love it, to love what you do and to just enjoy like I said, the path you're on. And I know that's kind of corny, but um, that's advice I always repeat over to myself. Um, and so I guess that's the advice that I would put out into the world. I love it. This has been so fun. I'm so glad we did this. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, go enjoy that beautiful weather. I will. I'm going to go sit outside all day um, oh, and, and prep for snow tomorrow. <laughs> nice. Me too. Awesome. All right. Good. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thank you, Laura, for coming on the show. You all can find Laura on Instagram. She's L-T-H-W-E-A-T-T. You could find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You could find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. You can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. Don't forget, you can also support the show on Patreon when you go to patreon.com slash and check out our sponsor for this episode, Lily Trotters, lilytrotters.com. Use the code another for 25% off your order. Go treat yourself. All right, friends, have a really great rest of your day and I will see you Friday.